Hi, my name is Fiona Zeiger and you're listening to the Migration Podcast. We open our second season with the American sociologist Douglas Massey, who joins my associate producer Asia Pisareskaya for a talk about his research on Mexican migration to the United States of America. In this conversation, Douglas tells us about Mexican migration to the US since the early 20th century and discusses how US policy has shaped migration forms and patterns across the US-Mexican border. I would like to talk to you um, about your recent article, Immigration Policy Mismatches and Counterproductive Outcomes. Could you tell us why migrants have been irregularly migrating to the United States of America in the late 20th century? Well, the, the reasons change over time. Um, migration from Mexico began earlier in the 20th century and was uh, originally started by recruitment by um, employers in the United States. And this would be around 1907 or 1908. And then um, once World War I broke out, in 1914, that cut off immigration from Europe and created a, a big demand for immigrants from late, from Mexico. Mm -hmm. And so the, Me the Mexican migration really rose during the late 19-teens and then boomed in the 1920s because the U.S. had passed quota laws prohibiting migration from Europe, from Southern and Eastern Europe. And so migration from Mexico really peaked during the 1920s. And then the Depression hit, of course, And Mexicans uh, were deported from the United States after 1929, and that stopped migration from Mexico for a long time. After 1929, when unemployment rates rose and a lot of American citizens went on uh, public assistance, they came to be seen as threats. And between 1929 and 1935, about 450,000 Mexicans were deported from the United States. And most of them were deported outside of legal channels. They were just rounded up, put in boxcars, taken to the border and dumped across. Mm -hmm. And um, they'd been migrating for some time and many of their children were born in the United States from US citizens and were really uh, illegally deported from the United States, their, their country of birth. Mm -hmm. uh, and migration didn't start again until 1942 when the US found itself in the Second World War after the Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor. And uh, with the draft, uh, military draft, and full uh, uh, employment in manufacturing to uh, support the war economy, labor shortages immediately cropped up, especially in agriculture. And so the United States returned to Mexico and said, gee, we're real sorry about that deportation campaign in the 1930s, and we'd like to have a a new treaty that will allow Mexicans to work in the United States. And so that set up something called the Bracero Program, which yeah. lasted from 1942 to the very end of 1964. And at the very end of 1964, Congress eliminated the Temporary Worker Program, which in the late 1950s had been, had been supporting about uh, 450,000 people entering the United States every year as temporary workers from Mexico. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that closed off opportunities for legal migration from Mexico. And this was really the beginning of uh, undocumented migration to the United States or mass undocumented migration to the United States. And so this prevailed um, until 1986 when Congress passed uh, new immigration legislation that began to, that began to militarize the Mexico-U.S. border. And, and this changed this nature of, of the undocumented migration 
instead of circulating as the costs of border crossing went up and the risks went up and the death count along the Mexican border increased, migrants did the logical thing. They minimized border crossing. This had the perverse effect of, of actually increasing the rate of undocumented population growth because you Im imposed a militarization that, that curtailed circular migration and reduced uh, return migration back to Mexico, but had little effect on in-migration. And so net migration increased. And so the undocumented population grew. In response to this labor migration that was unauthorized, the U.S. Uh, government decided to militarize the border. In your yeah. view, uh, what were the reasons for such a reaction? Um, ultimately, it's political opportunism and racism in the United States. Once people started migrating across the border without authorization, they became illegal migrants. Mm -hmm. And since they were illegal migrants, by definition, they could be framed as criminals and lawbreakers and therefore a threat to the United States. And bureaucrats in the Immigration and Naturalization Service found it beneficial to go to the public and say, we're being invaded by a horde of alien invaders, and they're causing all kinds of problems. They're taking jobs from American citizens. They're using services that should go to Americans, and they're causing crime, and they're a big threat. And uh, they got more money for their agencies. It was very successful. And um, this started... Um, the trope in American uh, public media of uh, a Latino threat. And um, to what extent do you think such policy response was based on evidence? It was based on no evidence whatsoever. In 1976, the head of the Immigration and Naturalization Service published an article in Reader's Digest, which was a widely read um, magazine in those days. And he was titled um, Illegal Migration, Time to Call a Halt. And he alleged that there was uh, 20 million illegal migrants living in the United States from Mexico and that they were causing all kinds of problems. And he alluded to some kind of study that had been done. And there was really no study that had ever been done. What they did was assemble a panel of so-called experts and each of them guessed how many migrants were in the United States. And that became their evidence, hmm. which was no evidence at all. And uh, rather than later demographic estimates that were done using indirect demographic methods showed that At the time that he was um, uh, opining in 1976, there was probably around 2 million undocumented migrants in the United States at any point in time. And they were still circulating then. They weren't settling. 85% of uh, uh, undocumented entries were offset by departures. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's very interesting that uh, militarization of border um, basically created large amounts of settled irregular migrants. Uh, let's talk about uh, the new century, the 21st century, and uh, how did the reasons for Mexican migration to the United States changed? Well, two things happened in the late 20th century, really in the 1990s. One was the militarization of the border, which I've already talked about. And the other thing that happened was that Mexico underwent a demographic transition. So you had people flowing out and settling, so the migrants weren't coming back anymore. And then in Mexico, the supply of new workers was declining because fertility declined rapidly. So in the, around 1970, it was about 6.8 children per woman. Mm -hmm. And by the year 2000, it's 2.3 children per woman. And Mexico began to become an aging population. So basically, Mexico aged out of the migration-prone years, and there just aren't enough uh, of, of people in Mexico to 
to sustain the migrant flows that were there before. Mm -hmm. So the United States has been forced to go back to labor recruitment and they dramatically and quietly without much uh, publicity expanded the temporary worker program. It's not called the Bracero program anymore. It's called the H2A program. And mm -hmm. and that's for agricultural workers. But there are many other doors that have been opened as well. Um, under NAFTA, there's a special visa that was created called the TN visa, the temporary NAFTA visa. So uh, now we've switched to a new system of Mexican migration that's dominated by legal uh, border crossers. So uh, since the labor supply from Mexico has been declining over the years, who were these people that have been crossing um, U.S.-Mexico border in the 21st century, in the more recent years? So there's been a big shift in the undocumented flow and the composition of people that are arriving at the border. When the Mexicans started disappearing from the border, suddenly uh, another subpopulation of undocumented migrants became much more visible, and that was Central Americans. The Central Americans had been in the undocumented population and in, in, in the inflow of undocumented migrants since 1980. Uh, in the 1980s, the U.S. intervened militarily and politically in Central America in what was turned out to be the last big battle of the Cold War with a covert uh, attempt to field a, uh, an army that would depose the Sandinista regime in Nicaragua, support paramilitary uh, operations in, uh, in El Salvador and Guatemala and Honduras, and basically uh, unleashed a wave of violence that wrecked the economy of those countries and instilled endemic violence in the region that never went away. And starting in the 80s, they were people, thousands of people, and ultimately hundreds of thousands of people were displaced and they came to the United States seeking refuge. Nicaraguans were allowed to come in and get an adjust status to become permanent residents because they were fleeing a leftist regime, the Sandinistas. But Salvadorans, Guatemalans, and Hondurans couldn't be admitted as refugees because they were coming from right-wing regimes that were allied with the United States. Mm -hmm. So they couldn't possibly be political refugees. And so they came in in various liminal statuses, uh, mostly undocumented, some with temporary protected status for different reasons. But that formed the basis of a growing Central American undocumented population. And, and so basically, the people that are at the border now are people that are fleeing conditions in Central America that really were caused in a very direct way by the U.S. intervention. They're fleeing poor economic circumstances and um, violence that really arises out of the U.S. intervention. They're coming to the border not seeking jobs, they're seeking refuge, and they're composed not of male uh, workers between the ages of 18 and 30, they're families uh, with women and children. And, and more and more people are arriving in family units. In 2019, the latest year for which we have data, uh, about 71% of the migrants were Central American and they uh, were predominantly uh, family units and uh, unaccompanied minors and no longer single males traveling for work. Mm -hmm. And uh, what was the response of the United States government to these population movements in the new century? Well, both under the Obama administration and under um, the Trump administration, they were not well received. They, it was considered to be a new immigration emergency on the border rather than a humanitarian problem. Obama was a little gentler with the, the people and uh, didn't put them in cages and, and processed uh, people arriving as asylum seekers, although they tried to discourage it. 
but when the Trump administration came in, uh, it, he, he towed a hard line and they were perceived, they were framed as dangerous um, terrorists and dangerous criminals coming to the country for very evil purposes. And so that's really the origin of the current border crisis. We won't accept these people as asylum seekers or refugees that we have a responsibility for. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And in your view, what are the reasons for such drastic mismatches between the policy responses and the varied nature of the unauthorized migration? Opportunism on the part of selfish political people who want to gain power and influence by mobilizing voters uh, to support them and by bureaucrats who want to gain more power and money for their agencies in the government and political expediency. Um, these are the ingredients that produce these mismatches. So it was led first by um, bureaucratic entrepreneurs who wanted to get more resources and power for their agencies. And then politicians uh, climbed on board because it seemed to be a way to mobilize voters. Uh, and, and then when it becomes, when it seems to be a politically popular thing to do, the Democrats stand by and allow this to happen and even facilitate it. And you see this, especially under Obama, where it was already clear that uh, undocumented migration from Mexico had ended and uh, that the people who were coming were not no longer workers, but re refugees and asylum seekers. But he thought if he could show that he was going to be tough on immigrants and ramp up both border enforcement and deportations, that the Republicans who were pushing the invasion metaphor and pushing the, the menace of immigration, they would compromise and agree to have some kind of path to legalization for the undocumented and engage in uh, immigration reform. But it was never going to happen. Uh, and so um, they ended up, uh, the Obama administration ended up deporting more people than any president in American history in a vain attempt to bring uh, Republicans to the bargaining table, which they were never going to do. It was only in the second term when he realized that there was going to be no compromise, that he scaled back the deportations. But by then it was too late. Mm -hmm. Do you think such mismatches are unique to the United States or are they observed elsewhere in the world? They're fairly common around the world. Um, you see it in Europe, clearly. Uh, the great refugee crisis of 2015 and 2016, that involved a, about a million, a little more than a million people coming into um Western Europe into the European Union in a period of about a year. And this was treated as a unmanageable crisis. Uh, but the United States takes in a million immigrants every year uh, and manages to do it. And it's a smaller population than the European Union. Angela Merkel was the one who really tried to frame it as a, as a problem we can manage and we should do it uh, both on humanitarian and practical grounds. But other politicians saw an opportunity And they framed these people as, as evildoers, as terrorists, as people coming in to change their culture and um, do all these terrible things to Western European society. And, and ironically, xenophobia was most successful in places that actually had very few immigrants, like Hungary and Poland. And you see this all over the world. So hmm. uh, how, in, in your view, uh, the future of immigration policy looks in the United States? Well, that's a big question right now. And um, if if the United States were really a true democracy, we probably have immigration reform uh, already because um, 
public polls show that 60, more than 60% of the population wants an immigration reform and a pathway to legalization. 80% want a legalization for the so-called dreamers, the, the people who came as children and grew up in the United States. Nobody really wants to deport them. Uh, but we have a constitution that was written by slaveholders, and it was designed to prevent a progressive change from happening. They wanted to make it impossible to ever overturn slavery through constitutional means. So they gave tremendous powers to minorities to block change and prevent change from happening. And so it's a battle right now between a, a, an increasingly narrowly based Republican Party that is no longer democratic uh, with a small d. Uh, they don't believe in democracy. And they are trying to uh, set up a condition where a white minority government can rule over an increasingly diverse population through voter suppression. And that's the basic reality. And that's the battle. And we'll see what happens. Uh, Biden um, may be able to pull things off and change. The Republicans have a constitution that's stacked in their favor. And the Democrats have to have to basically win elections by a large margin in order to take power. Uh, and the Republicans can form minority governments more easily. So it's a it's quite a quite a show. Thank you so much for this very interesting interview, for this very interesting insight. It has been a pleasure talking to you. And uh, thank you so much once again for joining the Migration Podcast. Well, it's always a pleasure to work with Emisco. Um, <laughs> and I look forward to the time when Emisco can meet in person again. Yes, me too. <laughs> thank you so much. Douglas Massey is Professor of Sociology at the Princeton School of Public and International Affairs at Princeton University. Asia Pisarevskaya is Assistant Professor at the Erasmus University Department of Public Administration and Sociology in Rotterdam.